Hello, welcome to Pod is a DJ episode one. Um, my name is Stephen Day. Uh, most people listening don't know me. Some of you might do. Uh, and then, of course, some of you who do know me might not want to know me because uh, I do have a habit of winding all my best friends up just for laughs, really, for shits and giggles. Anyway, um, so I am not a professional podcaster. I've never done this before in my life. Um, and I was listening to some podcasts back kind of, um, you know, all the, I've been listening to podcasts for a long time, but, but sort of over the Christmas period and the New Year period, and I listened to kind of comedy and films and video games ones, but I was thinking, what would I like to listen to? And I thought, oh, actually, something I'm really interested in, it's something I've always loved is, is dance music, you know, you know, all my life. Um, maybe there's a podcast out there where they're interviewing DJs and talking about their lives and stuff. And I looked and I couldn't find one. So I thought, ah, so maybe I should make one then. So that's really what happened. There's a little bit of that, a little bit of uh, lockdown sort of uh, mental stress. And it was kind of a nice little project to get myself into that kind of cleared my head a little bit. Um, and I kind of made some rules for myself, I suppose. Um, the first rule is that I'm going to try and do them face to face rather than on Zoom or any kind of video conferencing, um, which means, you know, if, if someone wants to see me and they're in New York, then I have to jump on a plane to New York to go and chat with them. Um, the second one is that I'm going to try and keep it as unedited as possible. So there'll be a lot of stuff on there that you, you know, might think, oh, why don't they cut that out? Or there's big pauses and stuff. There's no professionals behind me. I'm, I'm barely an amateur. So, um, yeah, you have to go with it. It is what it is. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you subscribe and I hope you come back for more. Um, so the first one is with Barry Ashworth. Um, I've known Barry for quite a long time, maybe 20, no, maybe not 20 years, maybe 15 to 20 years, I suppose. Barry's you know, synonymous in the industry. He's a, you know, he's a, a great DJ, but his band, the Dub Pistols, tour around the world constantly. Um, you might have seen him at festivals. They're an amazing band live. Definitely check them out if you've never seen them before. But Barry has got an, uh, an interesting past and an interesting view of the world. He's uh, he's taken everything that life's given at him. So you'll, you'll find that in the, in the conversation today. And he's very open, so probably not acceptable for any children uh, to listen there's definitely some swearing there's definitely some references to um, some drug use and yeah but that's just what it is you know that's what, what life is and that's what Barry's life has been like so yeah the other thing I've noticed is and I apologize now is as I said I'm not professional that there is a bit of ping on the mic a bit of so if you're on earphones sorry um, secondly for some weird reason later on in the podcast uh, in the interview and the chat whatever you want to call it um, there's like a weird echo and it kind of comes in and it kind of comes out and I'm not sure what it is I'm not sure why it happens I can't fix it it just is what it is um, future ones hopefully won't have them I'm kind of learning on the go um, in fact next next week's one won't um, because that was recorded professionally in a proper studio I'll tell you about that if you listen to it but yeah uh, anyway here's Barry and I hope you enjoy First of all, thanks for thanks for meeting up with me, Barry. It's great. We're having out of a pint. The first one since uh, well, yours has been since Monday, but mine since no, <laughs> since last night. Mine was since last night. Out, I actually, out fight. yeah. I mean, it's the first legal pint, not legal pint, but first pint of having outside in a public house with another person. Yeah. Um, prohibitions over. What kind of what was this lockdown four or lockdown three? I, I have I no remember. idea. I have no idea. Um, I mean, I've been 
I mean, I've been locked up many times, but I haven't been locked down. Um, as I think I've probably locked up more times than I've been locked down. <laughs> so yeah, how, how has how's, how's it been during the yeah, during the lockdown? You know, obviously it was unexpected to all of us, but you know, it hit the, the entertainment industry pretty hard. You know, harder than most. And, yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I was kind of like, you know, most of my life, um, I've done. I've been lucky enough to have a you know decent career in the music industry. So I guess for the best part of thirty five years I've spent 11 months of the year on the road um, possibly more than 11 months at times I've recently um, cut it down to 11 months um, over the last couple of years after I got married but so I've, you know I, I was starting to feel a bit burnt out or starting not not burnt out I don't think that's the right word but wasn't enjoying it as much as I used to and it was starting to take its toll, you know, 30 plus years of, of, of kicking the living daylights out of it like I had. Yeah. Um, and then getting married and, and getting to a certain age where people are starting to pass away. You're, you, you're by, by nature of the, the, the industry we're in, you know, it's a sociable industry that's got very unsociable hours. So you are, you know, you become the worst mate in the world you know you you miss everyone's wedding everyone's birthday every, everything do you know what I mean everything the career always comes first so going into lockdown um didn't seem that bad the weather was fantastic I've moved to the countryside I could go for walks um I didn't you know I, I it was the first time I'd ever had the chance to actually st- step back and, and, and think about what I wanted to do, do you know what I mean? And and um, so I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I didn't miss being on the road as much as I thought I would. Right, okay. Do you know what I mean? Um, obviously there was uncertainty, like everything, and... But I, I mean, I was quite lucky in that um, we had the album coming out so I had a year of promoting the album even though it was kind of online a lot of the work I turned a lot of my attention to the charity work that I do for Tonic Music for Mental Health and um, yeah just kept myself it's it's kind of you know a bit like running around a hamster's wheel but somehow managed to keep myself really busy so I I, you know I enjoyed the lockdown, being in the countryside, being the weather was fantastic for most of last year. Yeah. I think the, the winter I found really hard. Yeah, I think a lot of people I mean? struggled with that, that, that over that Christmas period and New Year period. Was yeah, I've, I've really struggled. The last four or five months have been yeah the hardest for me, and it's because of the weather. When you're sat at home doing nothing, when it was sunny, like you said, it's it was sat fine. In the garden and, it was fine. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 the funny thing was, I never before before um, before. Lockdown. I was never really a home drinker because right. I used to like, you know, I used to get absolutely arsehole every weekend when I was on tour with a band or DJing or whatever. And um, I never used to buy, you know, I'd kick the arse out of it by the time I got home and was in bits. And so I never used to drink really at home during the week yeah. or, or whatever. And suddenly I did suddenly start finding myself becoming a, a home drinker and the wife had to have a word with me just before Christmas because she was coming home at about six and I was absolutely arsehole 
and you know and I did have actually uh, to have a word I put on a load of weight and I, I was absolutely you know just drinking myself into a stupid the, the, weather, the weather had changed and I was just and there's nothing worse than sitting at home drinking on your own it's boredom isn't it it's just yeah, I know no I know exactly yeah, what I mean. yeah. I've, been, I've been lucky in my, in my job I've been constantly working but yeah around kind of four or five o'clock you're then thinking what now for the evening it's just yeah it becomes a little bit like institutionalised yeah, yeah. I, mean, I never I never it was something I never used to do like I said I used to I used to drink enough for a, the whole week in three days and um, spend the rest of the time sort of chilled out at home enjoying family life so you're glad it's all back to oh starting to get back to normal now yeah? I, don't, I don't know if it is I don't know if it's coming back I mean I mean, I know enough. Uh, is it coming back? I mean, I've got dates. I think we start again on, on the 9th of July is my first official show. Yeah. Whether or not it'll happen, I know a load of festivals are about to cancel. Um, I've got bookings till already like mid next year. Um, am I looking forward to going back on the road? I've kind of got a bit of anxiety because, yes, I'm excited. I want to go and do a few shows, but I really don't want to get sucked back into that life again, you know? So... Um, it's and also just not 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 knowing quite what I mean. It's the first time we never used to rehearse the Dub Pistols because we used to perform so often that we never actually had to rehearse. Yeah. And standing on stage or going on stage and doing what I did was just natural. It's the most natural thing in the world. This is the first time I've ever had a long time off or, or, or not um, performed. So. Um, I could actually maybe even get stage fright, which I never, never even thought I'd, that was even a possibility because it was just what I did. Yeah. You know, so um, we'll see. Um, I guess I'm looking forward to the first show. I'll probably look forward to, you know, when I've done a few more. Yeah. And it actually starts to become real. At the moment, it doesn't feel real. Yeah, okay. Not long, though. When's the, when's, when's the first show? 9th of July. 9th okay. of July, um, Guildford, socially distanced. And then... I mean, they're talking about festivals back in July. I don't think any festivals are going to be happening until at least August, to be honest with you. I know a whole load are about to cancel um, because the government's thrown everyone under a bus. They've not given out... Even though they've given out grants, I think they've given them out disproportionately to the wrong people. Um, And they're not... Um, giving anybody any, you know, they won't back up the COVID insurance. So a lot of the big festivals that need, you know, once you press the button, it becomes very expensive. And should the government change their guidelines and there's festivals that are right on that border, then they, that's them bankrupt and gone forever. I mean, so many businesses have gone forever anyway because of what's happened. For, yeah, for, for for me also, you know, I, I see the the you know the dub pistols when you you tour, you know, you're like the hardest working touring band in showbiz almost. You know, it's like you're you're out on the road all the time, like the Blues Brothers used to be. You know, but but how's how's that going to be affected with with Europe as well, with all the kind of the changes? Oh, all the rules European and, shows are gone. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we customs. had a whole load. Of, I mean, and, and normally my life would pan out like I would. Um, do two UK tours a year uh, with the band. The festival season, um, uh, we do a European tour, European festivals. Um, I'd do a few weeks up in the Alps. Then I'd go to Asia and um, tour around there. And then I normally would end up in Australia and New Zealand, do a load of festivals there. 
bit of South America and then start all over again. Well, I'd, 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 yeah, I'd see you like twice. I used to live in the Middle East. I'd see you like twice a year minimum. Yeah. It'd be on your way yeah. out to, to Thailand or somewhere, on your way back from Australia. And yeah, we'd kind of ships in the night passing in a dodgy pub in Dubai somewhere. But yeah. It would be a dodgy pub in Dubai somewhere where I'd um, accidentally... Um, offended somebody and was generally in hiding (laughs) (laughs) I do do remember one occasion where you definitely annoyed the security guard very quickly in the set when he said you you weren't allowed on the. You weren't allowed to step off the stage or something. You you pushed your luck. You just I, I, you just I, dived I, off of it. And, yeah, yeah. There, there was there was many occasions, and you know for well. I think everyone knows. I mean, I was a little bit reckless back in the days. I think to put it remotely, re, um, not remotely, but um, politely. I mean, I think there was that time where. They asked us, you know, obviously we'd done the track with um, Rodney P called Ganja and they asked us not to play that. And... um, Did you play it first track? And uh, I think we played it midway through the set. And obviously, you know, Dubai's got a big expat type community. So the expats loved it and half the Emiratis left. And I think we were lucky to get out without being stoned. And then there was the other time um, where I was... Well, I didn't. I think I was reading a newspaper on on the um, on the roof of the hotel, and I had to go and do a radio interview or an interview later on. And I went on radio, and I compared the second in command, uh, uh, whatever you call him in in the Emiratis. Um, I compared him, which is something I'd read in a paper where they compared him to a camel, which apparently is again the biggest insult that you can possibly give. And I had to go into hiding again, leave the country. It's um, <laughs> so, a, a theme, definitely a theme. <laughs> well, I, the thing is, you've got to respect. I, I think the first time I went to Dubai, I did. I hated the place. I thought it was Las, Las Vegas yeah. without the fun. Um, that was my first impressions of it. But you know, after going back many, many, many times, and obviously getting more friends there, yeah. and then starting to understand the culture and understand the, the life of it. You know, it was somewhere I actually really enjoyed visiting in the end. And and like you say, it's just about showing respect, really, to the laws and the religion. And, and, and you know, uh, I think when I first went, I wasn't mature enough, even though I was probably over 30, to uh, appreciate, <laughs> appreciate those things and would always push it as far as I possibly could. And... That was way too far, and I think I can consider myself very lucky. I remember we, um, I remember, um, and again, this is a, this is a podcast that obviously one of the, when I remember one of the band, and obviously there isn't supposed to be prostitution and things like that um, in Dubai. But um, things go on. But things, things, things things do go on. And, <laughs> Nature finds <laughs> a way, like Jurassic Park. I remember Park. it was one of the band's birthday. I'm not going to mention a me- member of the band, and it might not still be in the band. Um, so um, nobody knows who it is. But it was their birthday, so we went to one of these um, places that um, are not um, frequented by um, ladies that charge for services, um, and we got. Um, one of these girls to go and <laughs> basically look after one of the band members. And uh, she, I mean, he was absolutely hammered. 
And she um, basically, he woke up and she'd stolen everything, including his um, Converse and his shoes that he had to wear home. <laughs> but we couldn't report it to the police because you're not supposed to... Where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not where you've been, but who you've been with. Yeah. And um, she, so she basically robbed him of everything and he had to walk back through uh, the Dubai airport. He had no shoes, no anything left. Um, and that's to do the walk of shame. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's let's, you know, let's let's go let's go back to to the early days. I suppose you know what what was it about? You know, you were obviously a DJ before you were uh, and, a, and a promoter before you were uh, in, in a band. Now, what what was it that drove you to in that kind of find that that outlet? You know, because you know we, we're kind of similar ages. I'm a bit younger than you, but you know that kind of '88. I was 18, and then you know, second summer of love, and then I was going to raves, but I never at one point thought, oh, oh I can do that. You know, it never never crossed my mind. What made you? Well, no, I, I always, um, I went to Ibiza in 1987. Yeah. And it just so happened that a load, of, a load of the people that were out there at that time were like, my local area, was, were from my local area, like your Trevor Fungs, your Oakenfold and Coxie. And so it was quite a big scene. And a lot of, you know, people from like, my area that were out there and had spent the summer out there and and so we stayed and it was the first time I guess I started taking the little fellas um I think my dove's about 20 quid each and the first time I'd necked a bean and you know it was suddenly you know 87 you'd gone from being you couldn't everything was very um tribal everything was very um you were stuck in your area, you were at war with everybody else, you certainly couldn't go to another city, you certainly, you know, you... So suddenly you'd gone, and like, like football, like, like, so like football hooligans and, and, or anything, you couldn't go, everywhere you went was just trouble, and then suddenly you'd taken um, pills for the first time and it was all about love, and it was all about getting loved up, and suddenly like, it was that. It was just like, you know, suddenly I took an ecstasy for the first time and thought, you know, I could change the world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And this was the best thing ever. And um, and that was it. it. was That was it for me. It was like, you know, Ibiza seemed like the most incredible place. I'm sure it could have been anywhere. But, you know... <laughs> but, 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 but there were there still thousands of people doing that as well. But, but what made there, you... I don't what think made... there wasn't thousands at that stage. No? No, there was, it was like hundreds. 87, there was, wasn't many. OK, but, but, what, but yeah, the, the still, something must have driven you to think, I don't want to just, you know, do the, do the drugs and go to the, listen to the music. I want to do more than that. What is it that made no, you... Um, no, no we, it, was, it, was the, it was the ecstasy that got me into... I mean, I'd always gone clubbing, always been into my music, like yeah. everybody, you know. But, you know, I was, I went from being a, uh, I was never a skinhead, I was a mod. Um, and then I was a jazz funker who used to go, you know, listen to Robbie Vincent and go to the Cat's Whiskers in Streatham and places like that. And then I used to, when um, hip hop came along, I went, used to go to Camden Palais with some lino and break dance on the stage there. Um, and um, so the perform, performer was always in you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I wouldn't. If you're not, if you see me dance, you wouldn't say I was performing. <laughs> you thought you think I was having a fit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I wasn't that. Anyway, and so uh, you know, music was always in me. 
and, right. cl- and clubbing. Um, and just going out, I guess it's just like anything. And, and like any culture, it comes along with a drug, and I guess it was ecstasy that was the spark. And that... So we just ca- I came back, and I started... Um, I started working with... I just started going to clubs, and, and the group that, that were out there, the Spencer, Steve, who were good friends of mine, who we'd gone to school together who lived up on Roundshore Estate, they they had started running a night in Ziggy's in Stratham. And I got work in a film studio in um, Westway. And um, I asked them if they wanted... We we, we started throwing illegal raves in film studios. And then from that, we started running various different club nights and... Magical Mystery Tours, and we did do like the Southwest One Club, uh, Studio Valbon, Cafe de Paris, um, uh, Kensington, I can't remember the name of the place there, but literally every single major club in London at one stage we kind of run. So it was, it was kind of, it just naturally, we just started running nights and it was. But it you was, would be on the decks then straight away? You were like, no, okay. no, no, I was, I'm DJing. And my brother was the DJ, and so I didn't want to tread on his t- toes. He used to be one of our resident DJs there. Um, and it, it, DJ, I was more of a sort of stand in the corner and hype everyone up and get off my face um, type thing. Um, and it was, it was just... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember when DJs... Um, the problem with running clubs in London, like, you could have, like... Justin Robinson, Andy Weverell, Terry Farley, Nancy Noyes, Lisa Loud, Paul Oakenfold. You could have like eight or nine of the biggest DJs of the time. And still, and like, you know, and, and still everyone would like go, well, I'm only coming if I'm on the guest list. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, Nothing and, changes, I, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and, 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 any, and any other club later on could have one of those DJs around the country and fill it and that's when the prices started going up I remember when you know DJs started charging £250 and I thought everyone was taking the piss and it was it was over do you know what I mean like yeah it was like this is all getting um, this is all you know because it was just a cottage industry everyone was people I think it was a phonic mixer couple of sound labs decks do you know what I mean which had elastic bands on for to drive them used to push them it was like yeah it was it was it was much later that it turned into a big multi-billion pound industry yeah I suppose it's, it's a bit like like um you know like, like footballers back in the day were only getting paid you know 20 grand a year kind of thing and now they're getting paid millions to you know play and, 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 and I think it was relevant I think I, I think my nan's brother I mean we're a mad Liverpool supporter yeah and that all comes from my my parent, my, my family are all from Liverpool. I'm the first Mockney, um, but we're all mad Liverpool supporters. And her, her my nan's brother used to play for Liverpool, but gave it up because he could make more money on the building site. Yeah, you know. So I guess yeah, it was kind of like that. But I think you could still make decent money being a footballer. You could make decent money being a DJ yeah, back yeah. then. Do you know, but you were doing it three times a, a night. 
But you thought the money was ruining the industry. You thought you saw it as a kind of it's a, it was more a creative thing rather than a, than a than a job. It was something I was really passionate about, and I didn't never to me it was never like you know the M twenty five raves or the rate we used to call them rave monkeys or Anton the Pirate and his crew. Do you know what I mean? Doing M twenty five raves yeah, rain, to over rain dance. Rain, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, to me they were the Antichrist. We wanted to keep it cool and underground. And anything over a thousand people for me to, was selling out. Yeah. You know, we didn't really want to talk to. One of the people that used to be in our crew was a guy called Steve Maisie, and he was part of the boys' own crew. Okay, yeah. You know, Andy Weverall, Simon Eccles, Terry Farley, and Steve Maisie, and they used to run the coolest parties. And, uh, and, but Maisie was a mad left wing militant, um, still is. Um, but he was involved in, in our early things. So he told us that we didn't talk to the press and we believed everything he said because it was like the way it was. So, to, to, And it was just like, yeah, anything over a thousand people, we wanted to keep it underground. We didn't yeah. want it to be, it was our thing. I was, watching, I was watching something the other day and they were talking about, you know, for no matter how underground you think you are, there's always somebody who's more underground than you are kind of thing. It's like, you know, for me, you know, somebody's well, underground. Just, is, just, I mean, I, I remember I interviewed... Left field, um, they just come off a homelands, yeah. And I was talking to, talking to um, Paul Daly and Neil Barnes, and we were talking, and they just had a number one album with um, leftism. Paul used to play for me a lot, and uh, he, he used to he used to work at Zoom Records in Camden, that I used to go to quite a lot. And I was just I remember discussing with him about whether or not. Um, can you still be underground by being popular? And it's kind, it kind of getting that definition of like the fact that they, they, they were still like, you know, they were a cool band, but they become popular, but they weren't a pop band. Do you know what I mean? It was like, so that, yeah, they were, you know, they, 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 they had a number one album, but they were still a very underground band, if yeah. that makes sense. So, yeah. and, 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 you know, they were fiercely, um, rooted in that sort of tradition, you know. They were, just, you know, for me, it was about you know keeping things underground, trying to keep things real. Um, but like everything, everything evolves. And to be honest, if there wasn't, you know, and and, and I was highly anti the bigger, you know, M25 raves yeah. and things like that. But to be honest, if there wasn't for them. One, the scene would never have grown to what it is, but two, there probably wouldn't be the festivals. And the government, you know, put it all down and it was like, you know, drug barons, rave monsters, da-da-da-da. Once they... Re- it was only because it, because they hadn't worked out to make money out of it yet. And once they realised that they could basically make it legal and make money out of it, um, they became known as festivals. Yeah, OK. Do you know what I mean? So um, that's basically what happened. And, 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 and that's how it grew so big. And, and to be fair to them, you know, like I said, it was me that was the fool because like, it was like ourselves, back to basics. You know, Dave Beer was very similar in an elk to us. And we were a bit, you know, we were very hedonistic. It was never about the money for me. It was, it was about the, the good times. But other people saw opportunities, and I didn't see that for a long time. Okay. Um, in terms of like you know your creams that took it globally and to a massive different level, yeah. you know ourselves and back to basics and Dave were too off our heads to think about 
the um, and the others. I mean, even Spencer and Steve, they wanted to keep it real, and I was like, man, we could put compilation out, man. That we can do this, you can do that, you can do this. You know, I, um, so we didn't really sort of jump on the the, 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 the financial opportunities that there were, and you know, we run every major club going in London and used to come home with piles of cash but they were all gone very quickly yeah you know it wasn't like I said you know it's James Barton and that he was very clued up you know and the fact that Cream took it globally and turned into the massive brand that they are and seized the opportunity and there was people that were smart like that and then there was people like us who just really didn't sort of take the advantage of it don't get me wrong had a fantastic life had a load of money um, but spent most of the most of my time off my tights. It's, it's not a bad thing to be doing. I mean, <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh, you've got the best stories. That's the. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> how many times have I'm sure stories? James and I'm sure you know the others have all got really great stories. But they just you do <laughs> I think I was a liability. I was always seen as a liability because, um, same as Dave Beer, I guess. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the guy, I don't think he's someone who deserves way more props than he's ever got because without him, there's a hell of a lot of people's careers that would never have happened. Do you know what I mean? Um, and back to basics as was an institution and still is an institution. Do you know what I mean? And he's, and he made a lot of people's careers, um, but again, you know, he, he wasn't the most astute businessman. Do you know what I mean? Or it isn't the most astute businessman, and so therefore, um, has because 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 back to basics should be a global brand yeah, as big as anything. Do you know what I mean? You know, everybody's played there. It was you know there was back to basics, cream, slam, Scotland, um, various different other places that uh, UK Midlands, Charlie Chester's Flying Nights. You know, there were there was a few things, and most people went on to you know, Boys Own was a massive label. You know, went on to to to, to start the label, which started put the first Chemical Brothers record out, put first Underworld you know albums out. Yeah. Um, were a massive massive label. Thank you. Um, but you know, there was a lot of things that just. You know, like it wasn't about the money for myself, and we used to come home with piles of cash, and um, but subsequently just spend it all. Every, every, everybody around us could have a good time, um, and, and you never thought it was going to end. You know, when you're young, you never think you're. Um, you think life's forever. Yeah. You never think you're going to grow up. Do you know what I mean? You never think. You know. Well, how old do you think you are now? In your head, still. I know how old I think I am, but yeah. I know how old. No, no, I'm now more aware. I don't feel old, but I'm certainly, you know, you, you, when you start losing friends and people start, you know, I'm now more aware than ever of mortality yeah. and longevity. And I realise that I've way gone past my sell-by, not sell-by date, but I've well... I don't mean I've gone past it, but I, I, I'm, I'm very lucky to be where, to, you to, are. To where I am and, and still and have and a still career. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I've had a, you know, a very long career, and I consider myself blessed for that. What, what do you think you'd have been doing if you hadn't have found this? Where would you be now? Where would Barry Ashworth be you know, 30 um, years down the road without DJing on music? I don't know, because there's been times... I mean, I, I, I had a good... 
career in the film industry, so I was quite lucky. I was never a poor musician. I was I worked my way up to becoming a first assistant director, and that was very well paid. Um, I never knew this. Just, yeah, so, I, I trained as a, as a film editor was at right. the college and stuff, so yeah, so, so similar, yeah. I, I'd, I'd spent quite a long time in the film industry, and that was a good career, and there's been times when I think, why didn't I fucking stay with that? Yeah. Not because it was, you know, just because I've been through making millions to being absolutely bankrupt. Do you know what I mean? And and and, and I don't, and I think if I'd had a career in film, um, it, I would have been a lot more stable because it was it's a. But the film industry taught me that there's no such thing as you can't. There's no such thing as nothing's impossible. It's gonna. It's, it's all about. You can do whatever you want. It's just gonna. How long is it gonna take, and how much will it cost? Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? So, and 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 because of it, I'm probably the only person or the only artist who, um, because of my film background, um, turns up on stage on time. And uh, you know, because I know for. You just talk about you rather than the whole the band. <laughs> just, yeah, just me, yeah. yeah. But but I try and drum it into the band. You know, they think I'm a lunatic. They're quite a lot more laid back, like most musicians. I have do you noticed, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I've still got that sort of first assistant director in me that, like, nope, we've got to go now. No, how long is it going to take? Needs to be on now. We need to be off. And this is how long it's going to take. You know, be so. I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've hung around with you before when you've done shows and stuff. Yeah, it's it's funny. You definitely your your mind is switched to a different different. Uh, uh, time than the rest of everybody else hanging around. Yeah, <laughs> which are, you know, which can cause arguments, but it's like, and I have to realise that I am maybe a little bit like I say, I'm just sort of programmed differently. You know, I, I remember we went we went somewhere and, and you said you had to pick Tim Hutton up, and he turned up in a dress. He was I don't know what was going on. It was he got bundled in the back of the van. In a dress, and he got changed in the van. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, that's just. A, that's yeah. a, that's, but I didn't think it at the time. I'm just like, oh yeah, that's just normal. You know? Yeah, it's just normal life in the band. Um, but it did, to be fair, I mean, the fact that he was in a dress because I think he spent a good few years wandering around. He used to be known as Tiger Tim, and he used to wander around um, the local town or city that he was in, dressed as a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck knows I honestly I have no idea what's going on you'll have to talk to him about that yeah. <laughs> we're not talking about the band today we're talking about you as a DJ so otherwise yeah that, the, the band conversation could go on for many hours many hours so well yeah but what's uh, I'm guessing yeah if you, had, if you have a choice would you rather be on your own DJ or would you rather have the band behind you so is that uh, um, if you had to give one of them up which one would you give up it's hard to say. It's really hard to say because there, you know, there wouldn't be any band without. No, I was I was in I was in a band. I was a, the Happy Mondays came along, and that's when I decided to start a band, okay. and we were like a shit Happy Mondays, um, and we had a little bit of success. We signed to Charlie Chester's label, and we did a cover version of the Wooden Tops Why 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 that went top 40 and we got on the word um, and a bit mild success and the album was called Gangster Tarts and Wannabes. Um, anyway, uh, Deja Vu, which I hated the name because it was like, everyone thought we were a covers band. Do you know what I mean? Just, yeah, but that was the name of our record shop and that was the name of like, um, you know, the boys that I was with before we started doing Naked Lunch 
and Eat the Worm and the other clubs we did, they, they started off as Deja Vu, which is a very sort of a beefer thing. I think I've heard it, you know. So, um, but I hated the name of the band. Um, and that fell, fell apart. Charlie Chester's um, Cowboy Records, which was massively successful um, during its period, um, finally came to a... He left just as the album was coming out. We went on tour with Back to Basics. We did the Gangsters, Wannabes, Gangsters Tarts and Wannabes tour. Um, it was a shambles. Um, we had a great time, um, but it was it was it was it was it was us and back to basics on tour. It was never going to be pretty. Um, and then after that, I kind of I kind of had enough of house music because it had all become a bit too commercialised and cheesy, if you like. And so I was looking for something fresh and something new. And I started to go to Wall of Sound nights run by um, Mark and he used to, and then I started going to the Heavenly Social and I just heard the first Chemical Brothers or Dust Brothers record um, Song to the Siren and My Mercury Mouth, I can't remember what it was. Well, that was a, that was the Terminals then, was it? Or was that? No, it wasn't, no, it was at the Albany, I think, at that okay. stage. And and just decided that that was what I wanted to do, and that was kind of like so I got into doing the sort of breakbeaty, big beat, trip hoppy thing, and that was kind of really when my DJ career took off. Do you know what I mean? Or I started to DJ properly. Yeah. Um, so for the first good few years, I've been a promoter. I've been in bands. I was a you know bedroom DJ like everybody. And then, yeah, but a bedroom DJ back then is not like a bedroom DJ now, is it? I mean, yeah, every man and his dog can be a DJ now. It's not hard, mm. you know. Press a button. No, um, God, I remember used to carrying three box of records around, and God, you know, through fields, and just the weight of them, and 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 taking them on aeroplanes abroad, and they wouldn't turn up half the time. British Airways were really terrible. <laughs> British Airways, your records always went missing, so you'd turn up and they weren't there, but just carrying three boxes of records around, I can't imagine it now, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, you know, and that would limit you to probably what, maybe a hundred records, a hundred, but you think of how many you can have on a USB now. Oh yes, I've been, been, yeah, but I've, I've, been, I've been at gigs before where, where someone has downloaded something during the set and played, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, you've got the, the, the whole of the world is available if you really wanted it to be. But I think that was where, so it was, it was around about, the, it was around the um, start of Trip Up, Ammo House, Big Beat time that I started to, to I had a bit of success with, a tra I did a track with John Carter called Monkey Mafia, blow the whole joint up, Monkey Mafia. We kind of, John went on and signed to Heavenly, I went on and started the Dub Pistols. And the Dub Pistols was never supposed to be a band. It was um, it was just about making dance floor cannon fodder. Do you know what I mean? So it was just about making break, breaks records that I could go and DJ with. And that's really when my DJ career took off. Yeah. And that... And that, and that but I wasn't the best DJ in the world, to yeah, be okay. honest. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't... Well, I'm still not, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> At least, at least you're honest about it. There's, there's plenty of people out there who play and say they are the best DJs, do it, even though we know they're not. Yeah. There's a lot of ways of DJing, you know, for well, there's turntablists, there's um, selectors, there's, you know, 
transitionists. Um, I don't know what you want to call them, but, you know, to me, when I first started DJing and the way that the D Dub Pistols, um, I, mean, I, I, I took DJ Sticks out and he would scratch over my bad, appalling mixing. And that was kind of to cover up the flipping, yeah, the fact that I couldn't put two BPM together if I tried, not even close. Um, and it was kind of weird because that's how the Dub Pistols started. And it was like, it was like, it was like a DJ thing, but with musicians and a turntablist. And in the end, and it, and it was it was the idea of that was to cover up the fact that I couldn't mix. And and in the end, when I could mix, listening to their um, noise was making it impossible to mix. So it was like, all right, that's got to change. Do you know what I mean? So that's how the band started, and then I started being, you know, going off and DJing. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But you, but you work. I mean, you work really hard. Yeah. When you do a show, I've been to places where where there's been a, you know. A, a live show, you know, nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, till you know, midnight, whatever, and then your DJ afterwards till three in the morning, and you know, that's they're, they're all like, off enjoying themselves, and you're still carrying on, you know, yeah, pushing, I mean, pushing I, it. I used to, I mean, I, you know, going back in the day, I'd DJ sometimes three, three times a night, um, so say, say six hours behind the decks in three different cities, yeah. or you know, literally, and that's just the way it was, that's what your life was. Do you, and do you, you know, from, a, from a club point of view, is there anywhere that you, you know, you hold dear to your heart? Where's your kind of? Well, I mean, I, I, I think like cities or clubs specifically. Um, you know, I, you know, I always like playing here. I, or playing I, I mean, or yes, I, I mean, I, I loved Poland. I used to have a residency in two of the most legendary clubs in Poland. One called Bacania in Warsaw, and one that's still going, um, Sphinx in Sopop. That were uh, absolutely incredible. I loved them, and and I was lucky enough to have a monthly residency at both, and I did that for years. I was the first um, resident DJ at a club called Babyface in China, that was absolutely incredible. I'd always do the Gecko Bar New Year's Eve in um, Thailand. Oh yeah, that was absolutely insane. They, they, they burnt down. They rebuilt it. They they moved the, the Gecko Bar was originally on the beach, and then they built and then they built it up in the hills. And um, I think Leroy Fornil's birthday, they had a big bender, and then um, it burnt down. Um, and they've rebuilt it now. And Gary uh, Gary's gone, but um, they they were really good times. Um, Oh my God, so many different places around the world that I've, I've always loved playing. And, and I've been quite lucky because, I'm, like I said, not always, I wouldn't call myself the most talented DJ in the world. But I think I'm probably the most honest person. And I've always, people, crowds have always been really good to me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? They kind of like, you know. We, whenever I've come to see you or meet up with you, and you know, I know you're around or whatever, we, we always have a great laugh. You know, it's, all, it's always high. <laughs> I remember, I, I remember when I tried, you know, straighten myself out up, because I went obviously like everything. You know, I've been up, down, nearly lost everything. Had to come straighten myself up. Went for an appalling time where things really did get dark. And a friend of mine, Seamus Morley, told me that he, that if I wasn't enjoying myself, that I should stop because he was embarrassed for me. Do you know what I mean? It was, you know, he said, like, people are paid to come and see you. And to be honest, mate, you're shocking. Do you know what I mean? You're, you, you know, you're, you, you know, you just, you're fucked up. You look fucked up. You, you, you crap. Get it. Get it. Get it. You know, if you're not enjoying it, just stop. Because, and, and 
and it really did make me take a long, hard look at myself because I, you know, it wasn't right. It, things weren't right, and and then I, I did go and straighten myself up, and it was kind of weird because then I'd go back and I was doing trying to do shows straight, which were, which was quite difficult anyway, just mentally. But then people complaining that I wasn't fucked. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, win, where is you? your crazy drunk man? Yeah. It's like, um, it's yeah, the police again already. Dubai. Yeah, no, so it was like, you know, I, you just had to check yourself, you know, and it, but it was quite difficult and there was people who did, 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 did wanted that lunatic but you couldn't you know it wasn't you know I, I got I got you know I had to be more professional in my approach yeah do you know what I mean whatever that is but you're happier for it yeah no I'm, I'm, you just grow up you know you grow older and you get more experienced and life takes on a different meaning I used to be at a party 24 7 7 days a week and I and I and I used to be able to turn up and I could literally fall out of a club if I wasn't locked in it and and the club had closed and I'd wake up underneath the decks and um supposed to be at an airport and try and find I couldn't have been locked in a club. But 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 gone I, I literally used to be able to fall from one place to the other yeah. and somehow still perform. And I can't even imagine that now, you know. I mean God knows the states that I used to be in uh, airports how I ever got through anywhere well there's the, the famous uh, wheelchair incident in Ibiza for a start you know it's a, a famous picture if anyone wants to google it you can you know you'll, you'll see, see what sort of state you got in and that, that was pretty sober then that wasn't even you that, that, that wasn't sober up. that really was not sober <laughs> that was really bad that was me in a wheelchair doing pills and god knows what and the, the, the police I remember the Guardia Sevilla or whatever it is that they have at the airport come up and I was doing Things that I shouldn't have been doing, openly, in a wheelchair. Don't know why I was in a wheelchair, pretending. Um, and they came and, and there was about 200 journalists there, and they came and said, we've been watching what you've been doing. Can you walk? And I went, yes. And they took me with 200 journalists, followed, and I was on all fours, being anally probed. Um, but lucky enough, I'd done all the gear, so I never got arrested and managed to get on the plane home. <laughs> you still <went> <laughs> yeah. oh, and that's, that's, that's quite a moderate story, you know. That's the, yeah, that's, that's, that's the not one of the worst. Exactly. <laughs> far from it. What, yeah, what, do, you, what do you think of um, the, the industry now, the music industry generally, and specifically you now the DJ industry now compared to, to, you know, as it was, you know, and the... You know, you look at the DJ magazine, you go, you've got your top, not that it's important anymore, that list, but that list is full of people, you you know, they're kids or you don't know who they, half the people are on there. And, you know, what, what, what's your take um, on the fact? Everything's got to change. Everything's got to move. I think, the, I think the thing that's the hardest thing, and this is really more to do with the music industry, and but it's coming back more and more. It was like, I remember when the music industry went from saying that vinyl didn't exist anymore that you could only excuse me that you could only have um, it was only it was all going to turn to CDs yeah. and the fact that you could sell um, 10,000 underground records 
which was selling more than the the, 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 the CDs that were in the charts that 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 was ridiculous, and that's how big this you know the dance scene was. You could sell, literally stand there and just sell records and, and vinyl non-stop, and it was outselling the records that were in the charts. And then I think the th same thing happened with um, I, when when um, downloads started to happen, and and then it, and then that was that that destroyed the music industry as a, a commercial commodity. The fact that the music industry, the record industry, the record labels decided that you weren't allowed to um, download music; they didn't make downloads, so you had to illegally download them. Yeah. So that's when the the the, the um, culture of free downloads came in, and it was unnecessary because I don't believe anybody would begrudge paying a pound or two pounds to download their favourite artist's record, but they couldn't, so therefore they became... It was like HMV leaving their doors open at night and letting anybody go in and taking what they want, and that's basically what happened. And then before you knew it, a whole generation, a whole culture had grown up around free downloads, and suddenly music became free and its value had gone, and also so had your income stream as, as being an artist that sold records or, make, you know... So... Um, that's the, that was the biggest change. Although, you know, vinyl... They say vinyl's making a comeback. Obviously, you're not selling millions and million, millions of copies, but you can now sell... Vinyl is definitely making a comeback, and you can sell a good few thousand copies of, of vinyl because people do want it again. You know, and it wasn't just about the... Um, you know, with an MP3 or with a download or a stream, you're not going to get the artwork. I remember used to go, you're not going to get that smell of the vinyl, you're not going to get the whole, you know, it's the whole thing of owning a piece of vinyl. Yeah, no, I agree. It's not not so really dance music, but like, like, a, like a, a record from a, you know, a, a band, a rock band or whatever, you'd have the, 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 the words, the and artwork, touch it and feel words, it. And, just, yeah. You know, it's, it's something special. Yeah, you would, yeah. Um, regarding DJs now, um, I think they're a lot more professional. I think um, the internet's changed everything. Um, but it's like anything. There's always an underground and there'll always be a scene and there's always going to be talent out there. I don't think you'll get away with the fucking shit that we, put, we did right. in terms of being like, you know... I think they're a lot more straight. Everyone was fucked back in my day yeah. where everyone was off their heads. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you say with your brand, most DJs were... Completely hammered. Most so the whole the whole industry's come out of, out of luck rather than judgment. It's just I don't think it was luck. There was talent there. It was just but but everybody was partying, and now you can't get away with the shit we got away with. Yeah, no, I agree. So I've got some some kind of set questions. I suppose I'm going to try and ask everybody just to get a feel. Yeah, okay. So we're going to go through them and uh, and get the the response. Um, so. They, they say that you should never meet your heroes, yeah? Have you ever met yours? And if it was good or was bad when you met them, was, should you have met them, I suppose? Um, again, because of my time in the film industry, I've met, I met every, I've been really lucky. I mean, I, I remember I was on a set of Paul McCartney and Princess Diana turned up with Wills and Harry. 99% um, of the people I've met and I worked at the Brit Awards for a long time. And then most of people, uh, most artists are really cool. 
And then there's a few people that I've met that are complete dickheads, but I guess that's just generally in life. Do you know what I mean? Most... You can't be a dickhead and get... You can be a dickhead and get away with it, but um, mostly you can't. Do you know what I mean? You'll be discovered very quickly. And, and, and the way you treat people and the way the thing, that, the thing that I've always done in life is try to treat people... Just to say, you're lucky to be in this position you are. So I've met, God, I'm in awe of people. I mean, and, but most of them have been all right. There's only a few dickheads I've met. I don't like you. When you were growing up, you've quoted before you know, some of your musical heroes, people like, you know, like The Clash and stuff. Did you meet Joe Strummer? And Joe Strummer, I never met, unfortunately. Um, Terry Hall, obviously, I got to work with. Um, was an absolute sweetheart. Um, I've been lucky enough to work with many people. There's only one person that I thought was a real nightmare, um, and that wasn't through any fault of his own. That was through addiction. Um, was Gregory Isaacs? It was a nightmare. Um, but I don't think that was a reflection on him. I think it was a reflection on his addiction. Um, but I met other people who were just complete divas and pricks. Um, I worked with Madonna, she was a nightmare at the Brits and Elton John. He was complete diva. Have you, have I, wouldn't, you, uh, I wouldn't say he was a hero of mine either. No, do you know what I mean? Have you, have you had any, what's your biggest diva moment then? What's your... I've had loads of diva moments. I wouldn't call them diva moments because I'm not a diva. I'd call them meltdown, psychotic, um, drug-induced... <laughs> incidents. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the... the you know, trust me, yeah, I know I've been a dickhead on more than one occasion. But, uh, you know, I'd wake up the next day full of shame and I would phone up and apologise. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, no, I've definitely had my um, share of being a prick. The only time I've ever, I've ever seen you when you've, you've been edgy, I suppose, is, is when it's... Because it's important to you. You know, you've had a show and, and something hasn't gone quite right. You get annoyed because it's, it's, it's you that wants to be yeah, seen. Yeah, but as mostly it would be my own fault. Right. Okay. It would have been my own fault because I wasn't in a state that I could perform. Do you know what I mean? And so a lot of the instances probably could have been avoided had I been a bit more professional in my approach. Yeah. Or sober. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's looking forward to the next set of shows now. Because you're, yeah, that's it. You know, uh, um, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's like I said, you know, my, my company's called What the Fuck Could Possibly Go Wrong Limited and everything's gone wrong. Do you know what I mean? Through... But I've learned now to, to deal with it and try it to be as professional as I can. Okay. That's good. No, that's good. Um, Number five, five, please, Barman. barman. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Not I'm just shouting for this. What's the best straight worst story about someone else you've ever heard? You have to name them. You can tell the most disgusting story about others. This time when I heard about blah, 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 blah. Is there anything that's... No, because I don't think you can. Um, I don't think it's, it's fair to slander other people. Better name them. No, because most of them are in court, are committed suicide because of what they've done. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't think, um, you know, Jesus Christ. Um, well, a super good dildo on someone's head, that kind of stuff is not. No, that's fine. You know, um, you know. John Carter super gluing a dildo to Derek DeLarge's head in Ibiza is um, 
That's not that's going to be ashamed of. That's fair game. He fell asleep. He was off his nut. He got yeah, he got a lot of publicity out of it. Do you know what I mean? And then went missing. Yeah, I'll ask him about you know, it. Um, I mean, Derek, I absolutely love Derek. But, he, you know, fuck me. He, he, he was brilliant. And he was always worth He was valued for money. And, you know, to be fair to Derek, again, the same as all of us, you know, Drinking drugs got hold of him. If you see Derek now, he's a different person. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he actually had a hell of a lot of talent. But at the same time, it was going, like all of us, was living that part that everybody wanted you to be, which was the the, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. You know. So I'm not. You know, it was genius of John to do that to him. <laughs> I know. I don't. Know. <laughs> We're still laughing about it twenty odd years later. Yeah. <laughs> And it's weird because without Derek, you know, it was because of Ceasefire and Trickshot that I met Jason O'Brien. Okay, so without that, you wouldn't. So have without, you know, and, and Derek Delage did the first ever um, remix of um, the first ever Dub Pistols tune. Okay. So um, yeah, no, fair play to Derek, and he's we, we're, we're great mates, you know. But he, he he was like I said, you know, we were all off on that at that time. Do you have any weird stuff on your rider? Any odd requests? Standard stuff, is it? A couple of midgets. No. <laughs> no, not really. We're not we're not that kind of person that puts um M and M's, you know, this certain colour just to double check. We're not I'm not we're not that kind of band. And I'm not and I'm really not into that kind of shit. Do you know what I mean? I don't like I don't like a diva shit. I don't like tour managers that try and make themselves overly important managers that over make, make themselves like agents to make ridiculous demands you know um, I just you know if you've agreed to do something go and do it you don't need to if the promoter is a cunt he's a cunt do you know what I mean you won't work for him again same as if you're an artist if you're a dickhead you'll, you won't work for, you know the promoter's not going to book you again it's a two way contract you, you are what you are, and they are what they are, and we both got jobs to do. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Well, I've got three, three more questions, Barry. These are the, the last three. Um, what are you most proud of? Getting married. Um, um, what am I most proud of? Yeah, getting married. Still being alive. Um, <laughs> Despite everyone else thinking you wouldn't be. I think I'll, I, you know, what am I, I don't know what I'm proud of. Being, yeah, getting married. Um, I like to think of myself as a decent person, um, an honest person who tries to do their, you know, to, to, to do right by as many people, you know, to do right by people. And and I honestly think as well that the fact that. I have been a chancing fuckwit for most of my life and but most people have known me for being like you know an honest and and therefore people have always given me the benefit of doubt and helped me so I just think just be a decent person I think that's probably the proudest thing and and and, and your family obviously you just want to make them proud yeah, yeah. that's good any any regrets loads <laughs> Um, regrets I've had a few um, probably not growing up as early as I should do you know what I mean not um, not taking things as seriously as I should have when I should have 
not recognising opportunities that were handed to me um, and not appreciating the position that I was in at the time I was in it to... Um, but that said, every line on my face is because I fucking pissed myself laughing. Um, so do I regret it? Financially, possibly. <laughs> um, in terms of, you know, do you want to compare? What do you, how, do you, how do you compare life? Um, I have honestly laughed my way around the world. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I fucked up. I regret letting people down. But, you know... And with hindsight, would I change things? Yes. But, you know, I just, maybe I could have been a better mate. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. And then the last question, I suppose, you know, what's, what's next? You know, we know literally, you know, what's, what's on, on, the, on, the, on the agenda, I suppose. And also, what, yeah, what's next for you in, in life, I suppose? Um, I've just finished a new album, which will be the 10th, Tenth is ninth or tenth because I said I'd stop after I did ten studio albums. The Wikipedia still says five, by the way. No, Wikipedia says <laughs> I'm seventy-five. Um, um, what's next? So, a new album. Yep. I've got the Jungle Cakes album at the moment. Um, another tour that I said I wouldn't do. Um, and obviously, Mucky Weekender, which is, is, is kind of the thing that I'm most invested in at the moment, which is my fe own festival, which is something I've always wanted to do yeah, yeah. Um, that's going really well, and that's in September. That's the second one. That's, a, that's yeah. the second one, yeah. yeah. Um, it would have been the third had last year not have happened. Well, it didn't happen, but had COVID not happened. Um, so, Mucky Weekender. Um, and then... You know, my work with Tonic Music for Mental Health, which has been really important, and um, got the Flying Circus in September. We've got 40 wing walkers this year, and hoping to raise in excess of £80,000 for them. So, wow. um, that and sail off into the sunset. <laughs> Sunset anywhere specifically? Just, just yeah, in Ibiza or no? Nah, I, I, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I would love to retire to New Zealand um, because I love the country so much. But um, I'm going to be here for quite a while. But just start enjoy, just enjoy life, which I've managed to do so far. Excellent. Well, thank you, Barry. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you. Pleasure. Lovely nice. to see you, mate. Cheers, mate. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, it was great fun meeting up with him. Um, we recorded that back in May. So yeah, I apologise it's taken me so long to get these out. Lots of things have happened during the time between when I started recording them and, and now. I've had some personal stuff, some family stuff. I'm about to change jobs. Yeah, the, my world's been busy. Um, it's not really an excuse, but it is what it is. So yeah, hopefully now I'll finally start getting some of these out. And, and also there's a weird kind of, I've never done anything kind of, or made anything creative before. And there's this kind of, almost like it's your only child and you're looking after it and you don't want to release it to the world because you think what the world's going to think about it. Not, not that I care what you think about it, but um, yeah, I'm doing it for me really. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of, there's an element of me holding on to it longer than I should have done maybe. And it's just time to get it out and get it out into the wild. Um, so yeah, Barry there. Um, some of the things he was speaking about, some of the gigs he was talking about obviously didn't happen, um, but he has got the Mucky Weekender coming up in September. There's tickets available still. So uh, get yourself down there. It's uh, a great weekend. 
Um, lots of DJs playing. Um, obviously, see the Dub Pistols. Some of the DJs that are going to be on future podcasts are playing there. Justin Robertson, uh, John Carter, Crafty Cuts are all playing. Um, yeah, so if you're listening, Barry, see, I sold you I mean, another two tickets of the five people that are listening to this. So you need to thank me for that. Um, and also, I need to thank Andy Buchan and Hot Gorilla Records for letting me use their music, um, which is very kind of them. And I promised I will pay him some money if this ever goes anywhere and generates any kind of revenue, which is highly unlikely, Andy. So don't put any money down on a card just yet. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed it. And please subscribe or listen to the next ones. Uh, cheers. Bye.